happening this very summer. Just by a show of hands, who here is going to be uh, working this summer in a camp setting? Okay. Who has worked in a camp setting? Okay, great. So I want to start. There was a, there was a fantastic interview. Uh, I know this would really, really make his day. Uh, the reason why I'm quoting it, it also happens to be a fantastic interview. The last national director of NCSY was somebody named Steve Burke who now became the head of Asia Torah International. Wow. So there was a period where he was going on a tear of Fox News interviews. Like that was the bulk of his job, was going on interviews with Fox News. And most of them were about like politics. He was weighing in on all sorts of interesting stuff. But he had one really great interview that I, I think you can still find online. Why he was having this interview is not part of this year. I have no idea why. But he had an interview with a priest on Fox News talking about the commercialization of Easter. It was right before Easter, and the priest was really frustrated. He said, Easter has become such a joke. It's become such a joke. You go to Easter, and there's the Easter bunny, and there's the eggs, and just religion has been so watered down and so infantilized. Just like, it's just kid stuff. This isn't real. This isn't what it's really about. And it's not serious anymore, and religion in America is really on the decline. And Steve Berg said something so brilliant, his response. He looked at him and he said, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I thought he was going to jump in on that. Like, I'm a yeshiva shagai, so if I would have heard that, I'd be like, yeah, Torah, like what? There's no guys aren't steiging anymore. I love that stuff. Jump in, pile on. But that's not what he did. Instead... Seberg said, it's actually funny, the same time as Easter is also Pesach. And if you ever go to a Pesach Seder, the centerpiece of the Pesach Seder is making it child-friendly, is, is kind of infantilizing a little bit the holiday. Maybe it's having those finger puppets that have the ten makos on it. Maybe it is, uh, it's the manishtana. It's having that one child get up and say manishtana in Yiddish and pretend that they can do it in French again and everybody's waiting there and they wet their pants and it delays the Seder for an hour. That's great. That's good. That's part of the Seder experience. And we love that. We all grew up with that. And when you look at it in that context, all of a sudden... Religion and children, and when we prepare Torah for children, it's not infantilizing the Torah. It's not saying that Torah is childish, is silly, is, uh, is kind of dismissive. But when done right, it shows that the ideas of Torah, I'm going to use a made-up word. This is now a made-up word. Are omnisignificant. What do I mean by omnisignificant? Uh, there is a term that's called omni. Uh, I'm sorry, omni-relevant. There's a term omni-significant that comes to Bible scholarship. If you, read, if you read the Bible, if anybody here is taking Bible with Elman, I'm sure he took this article in there at some point. Uh, omni-significance means that every word in the Torah serves a purpose. Every word in the Torah serves a purpose. You can't go there and say that this was a typo, this was an error. There's another concept that I want to demonstrate tonight and have you think about and really get feedback from your own creativity, which is omni-relevance. Omni-relevance means that the Torah ideas that you develop can be connected with, can be brought down to any audience that you want. If done correctly, well, any Torah concept that you are involved in can be brought to any audience. And I, I want to talk about this tripartite, this, this trinity, so to speak, 
not the Christian one, just three things, of issues you need to keep in mind when you prepare a session, and we're going to go through it. I'm not going to read through any here. I'm going to show you what this means, and what I'm hoping that everybody here walks out with is that when they prepare, whether it's for an NCSY session, whether it is for a Beis Yitzchak article, whether it is for a Chabura they're giving to apply for Smicha Honors, whether it is for a youth programming in their shul, whether it is for the uh, summer programming as a counselor that they are doing, I want them to start thinking about that Torah as omni-relevant. And start thinking about who is the next audience I can bring this to? Where else can I package and present these ideas and what would that look like? Here's the trinity. The trinity is very simple. Any idea when you come to do a session has three major questions. Question number one is topic. Question number two is audience. Question number three is medium. Topic, audience, medium. When I talk about topic, I've been working too long in NCSY, so I same five topics that guys are like, guess what we thought of to do a Shabbaton on. We're going to talk about what it means to be a hero. Like, no, you're not. You're the first one. No one did that before. You have to act very surprised, like you're hearing the story for the first time. You're like, that's good enough. But, but, but I, I'm, not, I'm not knocking anything. I, I've done those sessions too. You know, what, what's the theme of your... It's unity. That's the theme of your Shabbaton. That sounds amazing. I want to sign up and be there. So I hear a lot of the same topic. And we'll talk about agility when it comes to topics. We need to expand our topic agility. There's more than just that. There's m- topic is number one. Number two is audience. Audience is so important. Audience is a few things. It's the age. It's how many people are you speaking to. It's... It's what's on the audience after a terrorist attack and just get up to your shul and give a regular drusha on the parsha. That doesn't work. You have, to know, you have to know what's the drusha that your audience wants to hear, not just the drusha that you want to give. Those both are always in sync. They're always connecting with one another. And you have to know where you're giving it. And, I, and we're going to start that pretty soon. And the last is medium. How are you relating this Torah? We think, typically... And there's a skew in this in YU that the way we give over Torah is through our mouths. If you go to YU Torah, 80% of YU Torah are audio shiurim. And I wouldn't change that for a second. I wasn't a shir guy when I was in yeshiva, uh, but, but I wouldn't change that for a second. I think that that's fantastic. But don't limit yourself. Don't limit yourself to that medium. Right? We, we, I've emphasized this over and over again. Uh, there, there is a uh, there is a media studies professor named Marshall McLuhan, who lived in the in the sixties, and he coined a very famous term called the medium is the message. The way you give it over has more of an impact than what even the message is. Are you giving it over in writing? Or are you giving it over in video? He was talking about the advent of television, and he really ushered in the whole concept of educational television and the history of Sesame Street comes straight from the theories of Marshall McLuhan. Read the history of Sesame Street. It's fascinating. Um, Street Gang, great book. Great educational book about the different, different types of mediums for education. But it's a Torah concept. The Torah, the, gem- the Gemara and Gitin on Sama Chama Bez, Devarim Shebechsav, Iyata Rashe Lobram Balpeh, Devarim Shebechsav, Iyata Rosh Lobram Bechsav. What we say, what we say verbally 
cannot be expressed in writing. What we write down cannot be expressed orally. Those are two different medias that obviously changed when they decided to write down the Mishnah. But the Torah is very sensitive to the medium you give it over, and that's the last that you need to ask. So we have three categories. We have topic, we have audience, and we have medium. And at any moment, you should be able to change the dial as if it was a locker with a, with a key and you're, you have three different numbers that you have to match up. What you are trying to do is make sure that what you give over matches all the way across. That the way you are giving it over, the audience you are giving it over to, and the topic that you are relating all match up. We've all been to Shiurim, we've all developed and given over Shiurim where one of those did not match up. It just it, it didn't work. We sat down and we um, we we started giving a dafshir at a at a you know in some out of town community and people were like, "What is a daf?" And you were like, "This is not the right shear. I should close my gemara." Or you go to a you sit down. This happens a lot. You, you let's say a madrich on NC's white colo sits down. He doesn't, he doesn't realize what level his teens are at. So he's talking about, he's like translating like Baruch, that means blessed, Atah means you. That's, that's, too, that's too slow for his crowd. They want, they want to move faster. They want to get more information. They want more lundus. Your audience, your topic, your medium need to match up. I, I want to give you an example of this because it's not just about giving impactful sessions. It's about aspirationally about your Torah about the Torah of everybody here. And I wish I had heard this when I was, uh, when I was younger. Nobody, where I grew in most yeshivas, there isn't a push to, to share and to, to spread Torah. You want to make sure that it's perfect. There's a, there's a perfectionism that a lot of people want. They want to make sure it's awesome. They want to make sure it's amazing. I'm hoping that we could push. We need more Torah out there. We need people who are more willing to share their values. And I want to share with you something right now. We're going to give really quickly, a shear in three parts, that are, same shear, three different audiences. That's what we're about to do. What I'm handing out now is a shear that I gave in the youngest of Lawrence Cedarhurst, Parshas Mitzora, um, in 2008. I dug it up. This is, uh, you look at this Mar Mekomoshi. The first thing you should notice when you see this Mar Mekomoshi is how ugly it is. But it's like, it's nice ugly. It's not, it's not sloppy. It's not messy. It's not sloppy. It's not messy. But it is... It's clear. I, I did the border. You should, everybody here should know how to do the official Kolo Yom Rishon border. It's not so hard. You don't have to be a part of the CJS to know how to do that border. On Microsoft Word, it comes standard in all office packages. Uh, so, so do that. But you, you should know where that is. You should know how to make this marmosh. This is extraordinarily basic. This is the Kolo Yom Rishon source sheet. Why did I make a source sheet like this? Who was I giving this year to? This was a shear in the five towns to a bunch of, I would say, learned, not Tamidi Chachamim. These weren't Rosh Yeshiva. These were people who, they like to schmooze, they like to drink, and they're a 7.30 Hashkama minion. This Hashkama minion, this Hashkama minion is not the, uh, the, the Mishnah and Brachas that talks about three hours of preparation before davening, a three-hour davening, and a three hours to kind of come down. This is like 20 minutes up until Baruchu, then you kind of blink out for a second, everybody stands up, says Shimona Esrei, you blow your nose, all of a sudden leaning is finished, 
and things are done. Things wrap up fairly quickly. It's over at nine. They don't they don't mess around. If somebody starts uh, if somebody starts singing, I would be. Afraid. I think people bring a srogan to shul just in case. <laughs> Throw a srogan. If somebody starts singing, but I happen to love the minute. I was the first person who gave the share this minute. It's gone on much much longer than that. It started in like 2007. Um, and this is one of the earlier shiurim I gave here. So I, I, I don't make it a fancy short sheet. That's not what they want. They don't want the translation. They want to feel that sense of, we are learning and we can do this. And I gave a shiur on Mitzora. You should know that one of the most frequent questions I get, not from NCSY, are from rabbis who are trying out for something called a prabba. Do you know what a prabba is? No idea. A prabba is the worst job interview you could ever be on. It is when a rabbi tries out to be a rabbi of a shul. And when you try out to be the rabbi, you don't just, like, meet the board members. You literally take over the shul for a Shabbos. That, that's called the Prabha Shabbos. And you take over the whole shul, and you basically are being interviewed by every member of the shul. And you have to give everybody a smile and a handshake, the palm over palm handshake, the rabbinic one. And you have to do the whole thing. And that's, it, it's really, it, it's, it's nerve-wracking. I always get calls from rabbis, friends of mine who are trying out in the rabbinate, who are worried about the week, the week that they had their prabha. Shoot, I, I got Titzave. There's nothing to say. I got Mitzorah. There, there's nothing to say there. That is somebody, he's struggling. He knows his audience, he knows his medium, struggling with his topics. That's somebody who does not have topical agility with his Torah. This is a shear from Parshas Mitzorah. We're just going to go through over here, um, really, the, fo- the first source. We don't even have to read it inside. The first source is a Tosvos in... Just joking, a Gemara in Kiddushin on Ayinam Abayz. The Gemara in Kiddushin on Ayinam Abayz has a very famous statement that says that Gerim converts to the Jewish people are Koshim to the Jewish people Kisapachas. What's Sapas? Sapachas is a form of leprosy, a form of Saras. Koshim Gerim Kisrael Kisapachas. It's such an offensive line. It, it's jarring. Converts are like, for the Jewish people, like leprosy. How could you say such a thing? So Tosos on the spot, which is the second source, quotes about four different approaches. And the approaches argue. One, one major school of thought is saying, yeah, Garim, they don't know the ropes like the rest of the Jewish people. They, they're late in the game. They come in, they don't know when to stand up for davening, they don't know when to sit down, they don't know the laws of Borer, so you know that when they're picking out the cucumbers from their salad, they're being over all of these terrible Isuri Daraisa. They're not waiting six hours for, for donuts, which um, none of you are, well, most of you are also. There's going to be a lot of donuts. There's going to be a lot of happy homeless people in a couple minutes. Um, and they're not doing any of that stuff. So they end up dragging down the rest of the Jewish people. That's one approach in Tosos. The other approach in Tosos says, no, 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 it's not degrading Geirin. It's not degrading Geirin. It's lifting them up. It's, it's, it's saying that Geirin, they make the rest of the Jewish people look bad. Who gives, who gives this pshat in Tosos? Avram Ager, obviously. Ager, he was, one of the, he was a Bali Tosos. He was a convert, right? And he said, this isn't knocking us. We just make you look bad. <laughs> anybody who comes late to Yiddishkeit, anybody who was a who was a Balchuva, my father it was not a typical Balchuva. He, he grew up in an Orthodox home that just didn't really keep any Torah mitzvos. But when he when he when he became more from, he was so careful with every little detail and everything. He makes the people who grew up with it look bad. He makes everybody look bad. So it's saying that Gerim are so lofty that they make all the other Jewish people look bad. 
There's a basic question. There was a basic question by the Mishmar Halevi, that's from Mayor Schulzinger, the Talmud of the Briska Rav. Um, fantastic Sefer. Fantastic Sefer. My Chavrusa, my Chavrusa was one of three brothers. He had two brothers who were of, and that time I'm sure that streak has been broken, to, to go straight from Wayu. They had a little pit stop to Brisk. One went to Rav Yeshua, went to Rav Davids. Uh, they wrote anonymously in Beis Yitzchak. So if you ever see a Beis Yitzchak and the contributor is anonymous, you have to peek through. That's, uh, that was my Chavrusa's brother. My Chavrusa, knowing me, was the one who went on to become an actuary, but he, was, he, knew, he knew Brisker Tire a lot. He knew it really well. He, he asked a question from the Mishmar Levi. The Mishmar Levi asked a basic question. He says, great. Are we insulting Garam? Are we complimenting Garam? Who cares? My question is, what's with the analogy? Why are we comparing them to leprosy? Whether or not it's a good thing or a bad thing, why did we choose in the comparison, why did we choose leprosy? Why did we choose that to be the anchor, to be the anchor of the way we describe Gerim? You could call, you say that, that say, just say it outright or compare them to something else. What is that analogy coming to tell us? So I want to stop there. And this is, this is Hashkamashir. This is Hashkamashir Torah. I'm now giving you, it's 7.30 in the morning, it's, now it's 9, it's 9.10. Everybody's had a little bit of cholent, a little kugel, you know, or sure a few l'chaims going around. And this is, this is Hashkamashir Torah. I want you to fast forward, this is 2008. I want to now fast forward to 2012. And we're going to pass this around. These. We're now in 2012. I'm in Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon. Growing up, the only thing I knew about Portland, Oregon was Oregon Trail, and that I knew there's a lot of people dying of diphtheria in that area. That was what I was concerned about. Uh, diphtheria? What? Diphtheria. You ever play Oregon Trail? No. Great game. Classic. It's classic. Gotta get the old version, not the re one. The one that. <laughs> Very two-bit. <clears throat> and I'm sitting in Portland, Oregon, and I'm giving a different she- I'm giving the same shear. But all of a sudden, I can't talk about Garen. <coughs> no, they are Oregon. I, I can't talk about it the way I'm thinking about it now. I can absolutely talk about converts. So I now flip. I now flip the entire shear. And I want to talk about the analogy of Sapacha. What is unique about Saras? There's something very unique about Saras. What's unique about Saras is that Saras is the only area of Tuma and Tahara that specifically needs a Kohen to come and declare it Tameh. In fact, Rav, Rav Kasher in Torah Shlema has a long piece questioning whether or not they had a special smicha program for Kohanim to even know what they were looking at. It could be that they didn't. It could be, you know, a bar mitzvah Kohen, maybe even a katan, comes up, looks at the Tsaras, he says, good, bad. But what Tsaras tells us is that it's unique about the interaction of the Kohen. The Kohen is the one who declares a tummy. The Kohen is the one who declares a tahor. And what I want to know, and what, I, what interested me, is what is this interaction now that we're comparing Gerim to Sapachas, <laughs> We're comparing them to something that's tame through the word of the Kohen. And I noticed something very interesting, and it sh- everyone in this room should be sensitive to this. 
If you look at the history of Torah Shabbat Peh, if you look at the history of the oral law, there are certain personalities who keep on coming up with this. The Rambam points this out, points this out at the end of his introduction to his Parish HaMishnayis. Torah Shabbat Peh, in one story, begins with Yisro. That's the, that's the pivotal person. And then we go on the first person to really translate, to really translate the Torah into the vernacular was Unkelis, the side of every page. And then after Unkelis, the person who really developed the Talmudim and the, the approach to Drushes and Mishnais that we have is Rebbe Akiva. What do Yisro, Unkelis, and Rebbe Akiva have in common, these people who developed all of Torah Shabbat Peh? They were all Geirim. This is pointed out by the Shla, also on the Marimakomo sheet. This was pointed out by the Shla. Geirim were the ones who developed all of Torah Shabbat Peh. On the flip side, you could tell the same story and talk about that the people who gave over Torah was Aaron and Moshe. And then if you look in the, in the history of the tradition in Pirkei Avos, it starts with the Nevi'im, it starts with groups of people who gave to the Zakanim. The first Man Omar, who's the first individual quoted in our Mesorah? Shimon Atzadik, who was? Kohen Gadol. There is a separate thread going all the way down in our Mesorah, which are the Kohanim. Starting from Aaron HaKohen, Tori Yavakshumi Pihu, talking about the Kohen, the Kohen Gadol, going all the way down to Gerim. I'm sorry, going all the way down to, um, uh, to Shimon HaTzadik. And this is pointed out by Reb Tzadok. This is pointed out by the Maritz Chayis. The Chassam Sofer has a truth about it. It's clear whether it's the Ha'ara of the Shla, what we see just intuitively, that Gerim have a unique role and Kohanim have a unique role in the way we transmit Torah. But one thing I know for sure is nobody in Portland, Oregon is interested in hearing just about the difference between Gerim and Kohanim. They're curious. There's one Kohen in the room there's like 80% Gerim in the room, which is cool, but they're not interested in this necessarily. So what do we do? We find an analogy. This is where NCSY training, summer program training, this is where working in a camp now takes the Torah idea and says, how do I bring it down? How do I package it? I have my, I have my medium, I have my audience, I even have most of my topic, but I need to find that analogy. And what do I do? I don't talk about Gerim and Kohanim. I talk about corporate history. And I say, what's the difference, the two most probably prolific companies in the United States, between Apple and Coca-Cola? If you think about Apple, Apple is all about, what's their mantra? Think different. It's all about new. In fact, the number one thing, the number one thing that could ever hurt that could ever hurt Apple after Steve Jobs died. What were they worried about? They were worried about who's going to continue the innovation. Who's going to keep innovating? Who's going to keep on doing new things? Every, every time that they have a stock report, they get worried, what's their next product launch? People get bored very easily. Compare that to another company. Compare it to the way we think about Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is one of three objects where the silhouette of the Coke bottle is patented. That has been patented that shadow of the Coke bottle, like that figure. It was founded in 1883-85 by John Pemberton. He was a pharmacist. And he said, I want the Coke bottle to be so iconic that even when you break it on the floor, it should still be recognizable. 
It should still be it should still be clear to the eye. In fact, Coke, the famous story, I'm sure a lot of you have spoken about this, done this. Coke, it, it, they didn't patent their formula. It's a trade secret. Nobody knows it. It was a whole it was a whole halachic problem when they wanted to kosher Coke. How did they do that? With Tobias Geffen, um, who koshered in '35. So Coke is all about tradition. In fact, what was the Tishabov? I gave this year in Atlanta once. And they all guessed this right away. I said, what's Tish above in Atlanta? And they all knew that day in the 1980s when they announced, none New of you Coke. remember this, New Coke. New Coke. New Coke almost sank Coca-Cola. They changed the flavor. If you ever read Malcolm Gladwell's Blink, yeah. Malcolm Gladwell's Blink tells the story about why Coke kept on losing flavor tests to Pepsi. So in reaction to that, they actually changed the formula. And people freaked out. People freaked out. So... They introduced the new flag, and they got rid of it. And literally, they, they, the, Ronald Reagan, who was president at the time, weighed in on this. It's so weird. You look at Apple. Apple's all about think different. Apple's all about showing the customer what he didn't even know that he wanted. Right? They always quote Henry Ford. And Henry Ford never did market surveys. He never cared. He never cared what they had to say about uh, the next product. Because then if you ask the customer, he's not going to ask for a car. He's going to ask for a faster horse. So if you contrast these two companies, you realize that their whole brand management are really in contrast to one another. And for those who are already thinking and understanding where this is going, I want to now hand out the last, the last source sheet. Let's kind of go here. So we started with the Hashkamash here. We went to do a shear in Portland, and this was done in New England. I think they did a, a theme with this. Now, you should already be thinking, if I was going to do a Shabbaton, and assuming that you know where I'm headed with this Coke-Apple theme, and how it relates to Kohanim and Garen, so in an NCSY Shabbaton, this can't be source-heavy. This, this can't be about... Um, about going through a shla and a ripsaduk. But we need to find the games and the activities that are going to bring these two themes alive. What are the two themes? The themes are that if you look at the role of Gerim versus Kohanim in Torah Sheval Peh, Gerim and Kohanim represent the strand of innovation and the strand of tradition in the development of Torah Sheval Peh. If you look at the story of Kohanim, Kohanim are all about Kedusha. Asher Kedusha no Bekedusha so shall Aaron. Why do, we, why do we make that? Why is the brach of the Kohanim Asher Kedusha no Bekedusha so shall Aaron? Why do we emphasize the Kedusha? So Rashi already talks about that the element of Kedusha is about separation, mm-hmm. is about preservation. If Kedusha, if something is really just out and about for anybody to grab a hold of, for anybody to pervert on their own and just throw it to the street, that's not what Kedusha is. Kedusha needs to be elevated. Or Kedusha could be really, really low. That's a Kadesha. But Kedusha needs to be separate. Because Kohanim, in their role in the development of Torah Shabbat Peh, were about the preservation, the Shemira of our Mesorah. And if you look, in fact, this is like really, there, there are, if you look in, in contemporary scholarship, who are the two schools of drushas in Torah Shabbat Peh? Rashi. 
Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Yishmael. Who was Rabbi Yishmael? He was a Kohen. He was a Kohen. Whether that's the Rebbe Yishmael in the Gemara and Brachos, who was Yosei Lefnai Lefnin, is a whole Gantz Geshef, as they say in the academic circles. But sure. without a doubt, without a doubt, Rebbe Yishmael was a Kohen. His drushas, the drushas in the school of thought of Rebbe Yishmael, of Rebbe Yishmael are much more sequential. They're looking for a much more literal reading in the verse. You could look at, I'm not going to remember his name, but you could ask Yosef Bronson, he's like a Talmud scholar. All of, I don't know why, all of my Rabbeim have PhDs in Talmud. And there is nothing in this world, in this whole world, that I find more boring than academic Talmud. Nothing in the whole world. I could, I could watch C-SPAN rather than really delve into academic Talmud. It's not my thing. Respect to anybody who loves it. But both of my Rabbeim happen to have PhDs in academic Talmud. So I, I, I hear a little bit of this. I'm going to forget his name, but you, if you email me, I'll, I'll find it. Rabbi Shmuel's drushes are much more literal. Who's the other school of thought in drushes? Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was the one who innovated our approach to drushes. And if you think... And if you think a little bit, if you think a little bit about our approach to Torah Shabbat Peh, Torah Shabbat Peh always has these two elements. We always quote a Mishnah, we have a tradition that we preserved, and then what happens? We go out and we flesh it out, we make drushes over it. If you, if you look at the story of Rus, which is all about Gerus, and go through the Gemaras and Yavamas, the whole story of Rus is really couched on the innovation and the Chiddush of what drushes can do. And that's the difference between Hugerim are and Kohanim are. Kohanim are about Kedusha. They're the world of Coca-Cola. New Coke innovation, it could destroy a Kohen. But Gerim, if you know the story of Gerim, the beautiful story of Unkelis in Avodah Zarah, where Unkelis was Mechadesh, probably one of our most famous, uh, one of our most famous rituals. Rabbi Kivi Eger has a tshuva where he's asked, it's, it's a... I never made sense of this tshuva, where he's asked, where did the minnow come from to kiss, to kiss the mezuzah? Rabbi Kivegar actually says, it's not, uh, it's not brought in halacha, but if you look in the Haggas on that Rabbi Kivegar, they're going to quote the Gemara Navodazara that has the story of Unkelis. Unkelis was the one who invented kissing the mezuzah, because they kept on bringing, they kept on sending people to kill Unkelis after he converted, and he would convert the soldiers. He was doing kirav on the soldiers. And they kept on sending in soldiers. Finally, the king said, whoever's going to grab Unclus, don't even talk to him. Don't talk to him. So they didn't say a word, and Unclus didn't say a word. And as he was leaving, he kissed the mezuzah. And the soldier couldn't help himself. He said, well, why did you just kiss the wall? He said, I kissed the mezuzah. And the difference between Yiddishkeit and the rest of the world is that your king, he sits on the outside of the palace. He sits on the inside of the palace, all the way deep inside, and the soldiers stand outside protecting the king. In Yiddishkeit, HaKadosh Baruch Hu stands on the outside with the mezuzah and protects Klal Yisrael who are standing on the inside. What is that ritual, what does the story of the Gerim really tell us? The story of the Gerim is the story of passion. Is the story of people who came to Yiddishkeit not because they were brought up with it, but because they understood what it means to really think different what it means to be an apple sort of mind. The last Maramukam that you have here, and uh, I, put, I, I, wrote it, I, wrote, I wrote this into an article. Now, in this article, obviously, because you have to know topic, audience, medium, so this changed the medium. This is not speaking. This is me writing. 
This also changed the audience. My audience, because it was in Hebrew, was a little bit more advanced. And I throw in a lot more, you know, fancier marmacomos. I try to bring rayas that wouldn't necessarily be understood or appreciated, certainly not in Portland, and certainly not in Hashkama Minion, where they don't want me going overtime on the shear. But I, but I quote all of that. And I strip out all of the analogies. I strip out all of the Coke, all of the Apple, all of the graphics that you see in here, which are crucial when you go to Portland, which are crucial when you're walking into NCSY. I always say it's the biggest travesty that we have when we give over, when we give over Torah and NCSY. When you come to a Shabbaton, you always come to a Shabbaton and there's like all this like amazing signage. It's amazing signage. You have like the big posters and then, and then another 20 foot picture. It's a C. And it's like everything looks amazing and the food, depending where you go, is like so-so. But like they try and they really put in the effort. And, and you go and the schedule is like, again, also depending on the region. But it looks, it looks fancy. And then they give out the swag. They're throwing out sweatshirts and stress balls and cell phone chargers and like... The kind of the Nebi regions are still giving out like USB ports. We're like, no one uses these anymore. But that's okay. Thought that counts. And they're giving out all this stuff. And it's great and it's amazing. And then you sit down for the session. You sit down for the session. The advisor sits down. And you see right away, he's like, he's like, he's like oh gosh, oh, I'm late. You know, like, I'm sorry. Like, uh, it took a while. Yeah, I, I printed this out. It's like printed out from an email. So you see like the print button and you see that. He printed it straight from the screen, so all of the all the graphics are messed up. It's like an H.com article, totally messed up. Not there. And he's like, okay, like let's read let's read the first paragraph together. You can see his eyes are scanning really fast. He doesn't know what the first paragraph says. He's gonna find out at the same time the kids did. <laughs> the problem is, is that our Torah, at any point in the Shabbaton, it can't be the marketing, it can't be the food, it can't be the swag. The best-looking, most engaging thing in the room at any given moment always needs to be the Torah. At any given moment, wherever you are. It needs to be the most thought-provoking, the most prepared, the most deliberate, the most focused aspect of any Shabbaton, of any summer program, of any informal event or formal. When you're dealing with Torah, even if the kids, they're still not going to, I'm not saying the discipline's going to come naturally. But they need to see automatically the same wow that they get at opening and at ebbing, or the same wow that they get at a color war breakout. They need to experience to some degree that the Torah that you're giving over, the ideas that you're giving over, also resonate and also match to that degree. It needs to be emphasized no matter where you are. And the only way to do that is to make sure that the medium the topic and the audience are all matched up. So we're talking, it's Parshas Mitzorah. And we spoke about the Gerim and Kohanim. So Rav Schlesinger's question of why is it, Sapacha specifically, if you understand the way Gerim interact with the community, and you could look at the way I, I flesh this out in any one of these Marmakomos, the point of tonight is not to learn necessarily about this topic in Gerim and Kohanim. It's to learn about the versatility of your Torah. But the way Gerim interact with the community is we're always looking for innovation. But there needs to be a, a boundary for where we innovate. 
Who sets that boundary? Who represents the boundaries of innovation in Torah? Who declares, so to speak, whether or not Sapachas is Tahor or Tameh? That's the interaction with the Kohen. That's the way that Coke and Apple work together. And if you think about this topic, aside from highlighting the different varieties, this is really the endeavor that all of us need to be doing when we are giving over Torah. We are taking Kohen material, tradition, Coke, and we are presenting it and infusing it with Gerus. We are infusing it with the innovation and with the excitement that's necessary to engage our audiences. And the question that I would ask every single person here is I would ask everybody here to think about the topic, the session, the article, whatever you're involved in. And I'm sure there's somebody here who's writing a Beis Yitzchak article. And I'm sure there's somebody here who's preparing activities for, I don't know, Elon Note and Morasha. And there's somebody here who is preparing stuff for NCCY Cola. There's somebody here who's preparing his wrestling match on Built. There's somebody here who's preparing <laughs> their... Is that do there? I don't know. What's the... There's somebody here. There's somebody here who is preparing their shear that they're going to give over Pesach to their community. And I want you to stop for a second and prepare for that audience, and then ask yourself once you're done. Let's say I flipped the switch on the audience, and I said, "Great, loved your topic, loved your medium. Let's change the audience. Tell me how you're going to adapt." Great topic, great medium. Now you're giving. Now you're giving it over to. To seventh graders, what changes? So that might be a big leap. <clears throat> if you're talking about the denim of a carbon ola, or the or you know the the intricacies of carbon pesach, wh where does that leave you with the seventh grader? A lot's going to be stripped away, but not everything, and the underlying ideas can be very much there, and you can still articulate it if you find that way. Maybe it needs to be through an activity. Maybe it needs to be through some sort of innovative programming. But you can show them that. You can show them that. On the flip side, when you're preparing something for that 7th grader, and it's an activity, and you're showing them the meaning of, of davening, you're showing them a new thing about learning, is this a concept that I can now elevate and develop to a new audience? Can I be more aspirational with my audiences? Not say one's better than the other, but if we develop the flexibility of audience, you're also going to develop the creativity of topic and medium. They all happen together. But you have to ask yourself the question. If you're not asking yourself, what happens if I flip one switch? Let's say I flip topic. Same medium, same audience. I'm just flipping topic. That's the easiest one. That's the easiest one, because then it's like the next part in the series. But let's say we keep the topic, we keep the, we keep the medium, change the audience. Keep the audience, keep the topic, change the medium. You're now giving this over to 7th graders in writing. You're now giving it over to 7th graders on a video. What do you do? This is the versatility. I'm going to close with this. It's super late. I can't believe everybody's here. Um, and it's really baffling to me that people are here and it doesn't seem to be because of the donuts. And I really think that that's a testament to the commitment that people here have for developing their own content and their own ideas, which is... Which is it's certainly my number one passion, and I hope people here are passionate about it as well. Gerim and Kohanim, Apple and Coke. We spoke about 
as two strands in the Mesorah of Klal Yisrael. The, the drusha that we started off with in the Gemara and Kiddushin, I was talking about Koshim Gerim Yisrael Kisapachas, Jarsin Zephrasa called Vanilva Hager Alehem, the Nisbuchu Al Beis Yaakov. It's a Pusik in Yeshayahu. There's only one other drusha made on this Pusuk. And I want to close with this and have you think about what that drusha tells us about fusing together Gerim and Kohanim. And that is the drusha at the end of the article that I gave out on that last paragraph all the way on page Sadi Zion. <coughs> Three lines down, the paragraph that starts Va'avoda. The last word on the, pay, on the line is Keneged. Keneged mi amar bachutlo yolen ger. Ella Asidim Gerim Lihios Kohanim. Gerim eventually will become Kohanim. Misharshim Bebeis Hamigdash. Shene'emar Venilz Bechol Beis Yaakov. That Laosin Lavo, this dichotomy, will be unified and we will finally have the resolution that it's not a trade off between tradition, between that standard Torah and having a Daf Gemara in front of you, and the passion of excite- and excitement of Gerim. But Laosin Lavo, that's not going to be a negotiation. Laos and Lavo, our passion and excitement are going to be fused together with the tradition and Gerim are going to be serving in the Beis HaMikdash. Thank you all so much. My email address. I I love if people want to collaborate, connect with content, with writing. My email address is dbash at ou.org. Dbash Ideas on Twitter. Get to know it. It's going to come after you. You can skip that part. (laughs) But dbash at ou.org. I, I, D-B-A-S-H. That took me time. Um, I'm really passionate about collaborating with people on, on content, taking their content to the next level, and thank you all for listening. Hold up. Yeah, of course.
Sitting, I'm reading it inside. It's For me, it's a gauge, but I, I, for me, it's not about the source, it's about the question. You need to find an awesome question where half the room is going to think one thing and half the room is going to If you have a question that's more than half the room, then. Yeah, yeah, and I can show you a few stuff that we that we do on this. And it could be because that to be in the world. It could 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 be in the world. It was a year ago. Don't worry, he yeah. forgot it. Okay. <laughs> but your examples are great because I feel like I like, yeah, I find part of it. Oh! I was like, I know exactly where you're going, bro. Atlanta. It's so hard. Hard. 